Hi, this is Brennan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and I'm here with Pete Nelson, and we're going to do another episode of Metal Shop. So this is our, our heavy metal program. I was on last time with Jim, and Jim will be on again, but he isn't feeling very well today, so we're not going to have him on the program, and we'll uh, talk with him next episode. And we'll probably divide this into two parts, because what I wanted to do was discuss basically the definition of heavy metal music and i feel like it would be a good idea to get both pete and jim's viewpoints on this because i feel like we're going to have a variety of opinions on the matter and so for the first half we're just going to talk about the um the motley crew movie the dirt that's on netflix and then we'll get into the topic of heavy metal and how to define it and just to give some background information because people might not know who pete is pete's somebody who is a member of one of my gaming groups but he's also a guitar player and he and i jam frequently and over the course of our jamming sessions it became apparent to me that pete had more music theory knowledge than i did so so today pete's going to be the smartest person in the room when it comes to music theory and uh and and you know we'll see we'll see how good of a job we're able to do offering definitions and terms and parameters uh, so, so Pete, just to get it started, why don't you just give people a sense of what kind of heavy metal you tend to be into and, and maybe what heavy metal era you grew up through. Cause I think you and I are of slightly different eras. I think I'm a little bit younger than you. So I, I, I might've got the tail end of some of the stuff that you were more deeply invested in. Sure. That sounds great. Hey, well, thanks. Uh, first of all, Brandon, for having me on the podcast, really appreciate it. And, uh, looking forward to having a great discussion. Um, in terms of the types of metal that I like these days, I try to keep it pretty broad. I would say it's somewhere between looking at progressive metal, where there's a lot of different um, ingredients that go into the metal, and that can cover a wide area. Um, I tend to like, I think the broader category for that is more extreme metal, where mm -hmm. people are kind of testing the boundary of even what metal might be. So it might be super fast, or it might be super like crazy vocals, or it could be strange rhythms, uh, different instrumentation. So I think that's the category that I like um, right now, one way or another. So extreme metal kind of covers anywhere from like uh, some crazy death metal kind of stuff to progressive metal to what's called math metal all that kind of stuff kind of falls in that that can, category can you describe so math metal just because i have a feeling that's one people might not have heard of and jim mentioned yeah. math in the last podcast so i just kind of would like to highlight that one if you don't mind oh that's interesting yeah i think probably whoever came up with the term uh, meant it to sort of make fun of the genre in a way um but it, it's highly complex rhythmically i guess is what i would say so the math part is it's hard for us normal human beings to figure out how the drummer and the rhythm section just can keep up with the different um, time meters that they're playing in. And they're, somehow they're able to keep it all straight, make it all work as a, as a song, and it, it all works out great. And I think for me, the classic example of a band that sort of falls into that category sometimes would be uh, Meshuggah. Um, they have an amazing drummer. Um, they're very rhythmically complex, and so sort of the term is, well, they must be doing math in their heads while they're playing music. And of course, some of that's probably partly true, but they also are able to sort of find the groove while keeping this very complex collection of rhythms and, and beats going at the same time. Okay, okay. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not as familiar with that subgenre, but I have heard of it. And I've also encountered, I don't know what style of metal this is, or if it even is metal, but I've encountered guitarists who play like a, a, a really... It almost is like they're playing the piano on the guitar neck. Do you know what I mean? It's so insane mm -hmm. what I see them doing. And I mm -hmm. and it seems metal derived and it seems highly mathematical, but I don't know if it's a part of the uh of the math metal genre. Um what what metal did you grow up with? What what were your bands yeah. growing up? Yeah, so so growing up I think I first started getting into metal with um you know, basically what every other kid in the 80s started getting into. So in middle school, it would have been bands like Rat started coming out. That was a big one where I had a, a good friend who, you know, had all the T-shirts and we played the tapes and I started learning about, uh, you know, more hard rock or uh, what then was considered metal. Um, so I, that's kind of an early memory that I have. Um, and then that sort of got a little bit harder along the years. So that would be roughly the era like, 83 84 ish uh okay. kind of kind of era so you know i knew of, of van halen but i wasn't a big fan like 1984 was a little bit too early for me mm -hmm. um i was kind of too young i was probably more into michael jackson at that point than van halen um 
So an interesting crossover there that he played on uh, Michael Jackson's Thriller album. But no, that's true. In fact, um, as a kid, I because I, Thriller came out in '83, right? Was that am I correct in that or is it somewhere in there? Yeah, yeah I think so. Because I I was very young. I was born in '76, so I was like eight when Thriller came out, and I was super into Thriller. And then I didn't get into metal until '89, probably. You know what I mean? So, right. but, but I'm sorry. Go on. Yeah, no, that's fine. And um, so that's kind of you know just being a kid, you like what every other um, kind of music your friends like. Um, but then in high school, uh, another friend of mine was more into like um, punk rock and skate rock kind of music. So he liked sort of um, the sort of the crossover bands they were started to call. So he introduced me to bands like um, Dirty Rotten Imbeciles and Stormtroopers of Death and Slayer and Megadeth and all that. So now I started hearing a little bit more of you know the heavier types of metal and, and even that was like my eyes were open but I, I wasn't necessarily a big fan of of that kind of music just yet but it was really fun to listen to with him because he he was really into it and it was just a good time to to listen to that kind of music um okay. so i think in the in the end by the time i graduated high school i was i was a metallica fan um so that was the area where injustice for all had come out uh, the black album wasn't out yet um but i really liked the the justice album and that kind of led me to go backwards through the metallica catalog and all the other stuff what was your opinion of the black album when it came out because that came up in last show as well um at first i liked enter sandman and i couldn't listen to really the rest of the album so well maybe i could get through sad but true with that so it's kind of like the one-two punch i love that and i'm like well what happened here and you know why why did they do this to the to their music so So so, so that that was too much of a deviation of their pre previous sound for you it was yeah yeah it was it was kind of just more straight up like i think so as you can kind of tell like when i talked about the types of music that i like now i I tend to like song structures that are a bit more complex like i don't like just verse chorus you know guitar solo in the middle intro outro kind of stuff i want to hear some people kind of mix it up show me some things that i haven't ever heard before so metallica had quite a bit of that i felt like oh yeah definitely like like all the way from like ride the lightning to injustice for all they were right it it was very unpredictable where they were going to go exactly so even then uh, that kind of appealed to me and i think the good thing about the black album is that they started to strip out some of that complexity and and tighten up the song structures which i get is also a good thing um but yeah it was just for me it was not expecting them to do that in hindsight i i think it's a great album now Mm -hmm. um but at the time i was like oh this wasn't really the metallica album that i thought i wanted well it's an interesting album to talk about because i got into that album um like I got into Metallica just before that album came out. Cause I, I, I was, like I said, like 89, 90 is when I started getting into this stuff. And so I got Injustice for All, I got Ride the Lightning and then the Black Album came out. But I had in my head like what Metallica was before the Black Album. But I think because it was still, I was so just getting into them, I was maybe not as alarmed by the change as some of the older fans were. Mm-hmm. And But also it seemed to me like a, like it was definitely more of a hard rock shift and more of a pop shift in terms of song structure, but mm-hmm. it felt like, well, this band that sort of carved out this sound, this seems like a reasonable direction for them to go for, go through. Right. And when they go, but when they went to load is where I really couldn't make the jump with them. Right. Uh, but also yeah. I think there was a big cultural shift too, because the black album was so massively successful it was it was really weird seeing a lot of people that we wouldn't think of as Metallica fans embracing Metallica, and so mm-hmm. I think there was a lot of other stuff going on culturally around it. Um, right. One thing I want so we're going to talk about the dirt, but before we do, I wanted to ask you. You know, we'll talk more deeply about the definition of heavy metal in a bit. Do you consider them a metal band, or do you consider them a hard rock band, or where where do you classify Motley Crue? Motley Crue, yeah, I think. They're kind of a little bit on the border there, but I think for me, the way that I think about the song structures that I like and what makes metal metal for me, I think they're more on the hard rock end of things, especially towards the the end of their kind of Dr. Feelgood era there. That doesn't feel like metal to me, but maybe in their earlier days, mm. um, you know, they were just more raw, aggressive, angry, you know, you... wanted to be different. So I, I think that's the part that I appreciate as being a little bit more metal. So they maybe started metal and got less metal in my mind. I would kind of agree. Like, like, would you say Shout at the Devil is a metal album? I think so. I think it's pretty close, right? Yeah. Yes. And, yep. So I think that's kind of their turning point there where they started to 
get a bit more mainstream and yeah. uh, you know recognize that they could sell millions of albums and be really successful. Yeah, because I mean, obviously, if you compare Motley Crue to Slayer, they're not metal, right? Like, if you take right. like the more the the more like the heavier and harder stuff that that was really coming out, they're not metal. But I think if you compare them to like you know stuff like Iron Maiden or you know you know Judas Priest or things that were more rooted, like like still had some of the rock sound mm-hmm. present, I mm-hmm. feel like Shout at the Devil kind of is close. It's still right. a bit poppy, I think. And yeah. it's funny because if you Shout at the Devil, I can all I can sort of see as metal. Too Fast for Love, which came up before, I don't quite. It, it seems less metal than yeah. than Shout at the Devil. Yeah, um, and that, that's where I think like the interesting thing to talk about what's metal and what's not metal is it's kind of like life itself. There's no clear borders, even f- yeah. for bands. Sometimes you know, and and, and it, that should actually be something that at least I try to appreciate if people are sort of stretching their boundaries. Like if they're just too much in the formula, um, eventually people are just going to lose interest. Yeah, no, I, I, that I mean, well, we'll we'll get into that because that's that's a big topic, and I think that's one of the pro- metal is populated by subgenres, and sh- subgenres really have a tendency to die terrible deaths, right? Because they can <laughs> they they can get because they're locked in, right? Like, like I used to listen to doom metal, and it was you know I liked it at the time, and I still like to go back and listen to it, but sometimes like you know you go back and you listen to these, these subgenres, you're like, there was nowhere for them to really go from where they mm-hmm. are. Or, or it was so, there were, there were all these things that you had to do to be within this genre. And I can listen to like one or two albums of that, but I do, I really want five albums from a band that are all that thing. Right. So, right. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, I think it's, it's tricky, but, but getting into, uh, to the dirt, which, which again is available on Netflix. It's based on, on the book, The Dirt, Confessions of the World's Most Notorious Rock Band, which was written by Neil Strauss, and I think it was based on interviews of the bands. I've actually never read this book. I've always meant to, but it just sort of never happened. I don't know if you've read it, Pete. but uh, No, I haven't read it. Um, I, I used to, when I was younger in high school, I used to like to read all the biographies of Led Zeppelin and all the different, like all the, I like to read about the excesses of rock bands as a mm-hmm. kid. And so I, I had the, the book, I think it was called Riders in the Storm about the doors and, you know, mm. all that stuff. But it's that kind of book. And right. it's it's sort of like, I don't know, it's kind of like, would you say, have you seen Bohemian Rhapsody, Pete? Yes. Would you say that this is sort of the, the, the poor man's version of Bohemian Rhapsody? Is that a fair comparison or am I being... Yeah, no, I, I think so. Um, for me, I, I really actually enjoyed watching um, The Dirt. I thought it was a, a well-made movie for what it was trying to get across. And um, it... It, for me, I think part of what Molly Crew's appeal was back then was, although they were popish, like everybody knew that they were pretty, they were pretty serious partiers, and you know, sort of lived that whole rock and roll lifestyle. And so, in a way, that's being very metal there too, is just throwing caution to the wind and not caring about what consequences were. But um, there were certainly, definitely, really some sad moments in in the movie as well that I didn't really know the full story behind. Yeah, I want to talk about those in a bit because I think that's sort of an, there's an interesting thing that goes on in this movie but I, I'll say I, I enjoyed the film too um, I, I I definitely know it's not going to win any awards right like it's not or at least not going to win any literary sort of level well, I don't know like it's not going to it's not going to get it's not going to be the the favorite of critics we'll, we'll put it that right. way right it, it's it's uh, it, 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 it's almost deliberately antagonizing the critic community I feel <laughs> in the way that it's done um mm-hmm. But I, but I I enjoyed it. I liked the way that they would do things where they would talk to the camera, and not just that, but they'd talk to the camera and they'd say, "This never happened." Do you yeah. Know what I mean? Th- things like that I enjoyed. I thought I thought that was that was I don't know something kind of charming about that. Uh, that mm-hmm. they were like, "This didn't happen, but we're going to keep it in because we like it." And, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. But I thought that the movie, you know, what the movie reminded me of in a really strange way was Goodfellas, and right. and the reason yeah, exactly. Why, do you, do you get why I'm saying that? Is that can, can you? Yeah, go ahead. I think okay. I do, but go okay. ahead. Tell so, me what you're so they start out in the first half of the movie. They present being in Motley Crue as this fantastically fun, over the top, just like you want to go and live in that world with them. Just like in Goodfellas, they make being in the mafia look exciting and sexy and dangerous. But then midway through the film in Goodfellas, Spider gets shot, right? And then that's when it's sort of like this descent into hell. It just mm-hmm. and you start seeing all this hellish imagery in the background, like when they're when they're digging the grave and like there's the the red sort of smoky atmosphere going on, mm-hmm. and that's what happens in this movie at the 
the the crash where Razzle dies, right? They have the crash, yeah. and there's literal flames in the background, and then Nikki Six literally dies. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? There's like it's so it's sort of it, it becomes that descent into hell that you have in in Goodfellas. And it just feels like it's structured similarly where they lure you in and say, look at this, this, this tempting lifestyle that these rock stars are living. And then boom, it becomes tragic. And then, and then they hit you with the double tragedy because they, they bring you with the, in, in the story of uh, Vince Neal's daughter dying Mm -hmm. of cancer. And oh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, no, I I think that exactly nails the structure for me is I, I didn't, put it together with it being like the uh, good fellows but yeah exactly um i think you nailed it and they and they bring in humor too like it's, it's kind of a comedy for the first half right like oh yeah like, like it, it, there's a lot of funny stuff uh you know whether the viewer laughs or not is up to them but but they're definitely going for humor and they even have tommy davidson from saturday night live in the movie i thought mm-hmm. i honestly thought he was like the weakest link in the film yeah. to be honest yeah. but yeah. but he's there for humor and 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 i i know why they put him there uh, mm-hmm. And so by the time you get to the daughter dying of cancer, it's sort of set you up because you've been laughing the whole time. So by by sort of being in that, I don't know, you just sort of let your guard down. And then it's like, oh, my God, the guy's daughter's dying. And yeah. you're kind of more hit by it than you would have otherwise if it was serious the whole way through. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And meanwhile, um, Nikki Six is on heroin, uh, you know, still. And, you know, it's just it really paints a picture of just you know, being disconnected people who were such good friends early on and, and nobody was really there for Vince, um, you know, going through that kind of tragedy, it would seem like. So it was, it was really tough to watch. Well, and it was all stuff that you kind of were familiar with growing up. I, I, I feel like they all, like, they they could have gone even deeper with some of the stuff because I used to hear stories like they would shoot up alcohol into their veins and, mm. like, really crazy things. So, <laughs> yeah, like, that that was the one that always amazed me because I, I can understand, well, if you're a heroin addict, you have to shoot up the heroin into your veins. That makes sense. But why would you why would you willingly inject alcohol into your vein? That seems enormously reckless, you know? But, yeah, um, yeah. And yeah then, I wonder if that's one of those urban legends or not. Yeah, because I heard the same story, something like that as well, well, injecting who knows what. I'm pretty, I remember reading it in one of those like hard rock magazines, like Hip Parade or, or like, I don't know. There were, there were, you remember there were like a bunch of those magazines that mm-hmm. all the bands would be in. I remember it was an interview I think with um, Vince Neil, I can't remember. I remember him talking about the shooting alcohol into their veins and having a no condom policy, uh, <laughs> which in the eighties was about as dangerous as you could get. Um, yeah. You know, so, um, but yeah, so, so uh, I mean, they, they, but, but I mean, you, you, the movie definitely gives the impression, like you see a lot of, a lot of the really dangerous stuff that they do and, Right. You know, the, the opening of the movie is, you know, is it's pretty over the top the way the movie opens, I would say. Definitely. Yeah, I totally agree. What did you think of the guy who played Ozzy, the scene with Ozzy where uh, he, he snorts the ants, which is another famous story? Yeah, I thought he I thought he played Ozzy really well. I, I totally bought into him being Ozzy Osbourne. So, yep. And definitely that was also a story that you hear where. You know, I, I'm sure hearing it from both Motley Crue and Ozzy that it's a, a true story as well. So it was actually kind of cool to see that that made it into the movie. Yeah, because I remember that was a story you you would hear about a lot in interviews and stuff. So, you know, it was uh, and it, it totally different than I am like that. Again, it's a movie, so maybe it's deviating from the reality. But that's not at all what I was picturing whenever I heard that story. Right. Um, you know, but it was it was entertaining. And that, that guy, he doesn't really like I don't know. I don't think he he's uglier than Ozzy. Like Ozzy is not as ugly as that man that was playing him in the movie, right. I think. Right. But I, I feel like that kind of added to the, the charm of the scene, having him be that, I don't know, just off putting as a person, you know? No, I, I totally agree. Like that was kind of like, you know, Ozzy being at his extreme end of his behavior there too. And so having uh, an actor who is, I agree, probably a bit less good looking than Ozzy Osbourne play him kind of emphasize that point. Like, this is Ozzy's one of his lower points in life um, type of situation, and he and he totally got like the the posture and the and the the mannerisms and his physique was exactly correct. So yeah, it, yeah, it, it, it definitely worked. Um, yeah, it was perfect. But uh, was there anything about the movie you didn't like, or was would you say you were you were you were a fan of everything in it? I I think I was pretty much a, a fan of uh, of just about everything in it. It was it was really entertaining, really funny at the beginning. It had some good, 
you know, ups and downs throughout the movie. Um, so yeah, I, I liked it a lot. The thing I didn't like about it was Tommy Davidson. I feel like, I feel like his level of acting was not up to the level of all the people around him. And the, and I watched the movie twice for this because I saw it first like a week or two ago and I wanted to refresh before the podcast. Mm-hmm. My second time around, it really stuck out at me just how much of a discrepancy there was between his acting ability. And I forget who played the manager, but he had a lot of scenes with the manager. And right. I was like, wow, this like Tommy Davidson is like like a kid in the school play. And this guy is like, you know, doing real acting. And it just looks mm. weird that he kind of mm. comes in and just delivers these flat lines. And then everybody around, like, cause for the most part, I think with the exception of the guy who plays Tommy Lee, who's a, is like a rapper or something, right? Uh, it's like Machine Gun Kelly, I think, plays mm-hmm. Tommy mm-hmm. Lee. Um, mm-hmm. Let me make sure I got that right, because I don't really know. Yeah, Machine Gun Kelly uh, yeah. plays Tommy Lee in this. Um, but with the exception of him, like, everybody's pretty much a, a real actor right and they were all right. kind of doing the real actor thing and so it just felt weird to see that you know the contrast there um yeah i think i think that's a fair assessment i mean in the scenes where and and davidson he played the record executive right i think it was yeah it was he was role. the guy from Electra records who had the yeah. green sweater yeah yeah i mean I, I i agree with your assessment there like most of the scenes that he was in i felt like you could probably almost do without right yeah. like they weren't really compelling or all that interesting in a way so yeah and when they when they first introduced him i thought it worked because that first scene i was like well he's this goofy guy and it like it was a humorous but then by the second or the third one you're just kind of like well this he doesn't feel like he's i it just it just it just was not good enough acting i felt for the level of acting that was going on around him yeah um, no, i think that's fair yeah but uh i did so in terms of who i like the best i think i think uh and i probably I don't even know if I can pronounce his name correctly. Iwan Rion, the guy who played um, uh, Ramsey Bolton on uh, mm-hmm. on Game of Thrones. He plays Mick Mars. Right. And I really liked him in that role. Number one, the whole time I'm when they're doing this, like I cut you I have a very clear image in my head of this is how they're gonna do Nikki Six, this is how they're gonna do Vince Neal. And for the most part, that's kinda how they did them. But mm. I had no idea how they were going to do Mick Mars because he's kind of like a strange guy. You don't mm. see that many interviews with him. Like, I mean, there are interviews with him. I, I've seen him in interviews, but I don't feel like I have as much of a handle on him as I do on the other members of the band. And so right. I was very curious how they were going to do him. And and so it was it, it, it was an interesting take on Mick Mars, I thought. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think it was a good choice of an actor there especially if you've seen him in game of thrones like you just associate like to in game of thrones he's way creepier of course than as as playing mick mars but mick's got like he's sort of a strange dude like you said um but it was it's a good choice as an actor if you can associate him that way and just the way he delivered a lot of those one-liners just the sarcasm and all that kind of stuff you you felt like you know you got to know him as a character too yeah and the uh and the guy that played nikki six douglas booth i thought he was really good but I did keep, he kept doing this thing with his lips where he was like, he looked like he was making an Angelina Jolie face. You know what I'm talking about? Like, <laughs> yeah, that that was kind of irritating me after because I, I especially noticed it on the second viewing. I was like, mm. I feel like he's doing that thing like where Angelina Jolie sort of, you know, like, uh, you know, does something with her lips and sort of, it just, it just was, it, I, I started to find it off-putting. Um, gotcha. But I thought he, I thought he did a really good job playing Nikki Six. I, oh, absolutely, it. yeah, yeah, and it was an important role. I mean, it, he kind of, you know, was the lead character in a way, so it was good to have somebody play that role so well. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. So I mean, I, I, you know, I enjoyed it. Again, it's, it's, it's not gonna like, it's, it's, it's not gonna, you know, impress the critics for sure. And I don't think it has. I think, it, I think it's one of these films that's got like a really big discrepancy between the viewer rating and the. Um, yeah, so the audience score is eighty five percent, and the critic score is forty percent. So it's one of those kind of movies, <laughs> right? Which exactly the same thing that happened with Bohemian Rhapsody. So I, I think mm-hmm. it's sort of cut in that same mold. Do you know what I mean? Right. Um, in fact, I saw a re- there was a really angry review of it in the Atlantic. Uh, <laughs> I was just kind of skimming through some of the reviews, and this one was it was probably the most unforgiving review I've seen of the of the movie. Oh wow! Um, but uh, but yeah, I I, th- I think it's it's you know. You, you, you know it's a motley crew movie i'm not expecting you know you know anything beyond a certain level of entertainment and right if if it did if if it if if i got some critical masterpiece it would almost be insulting 
Do you know what I mean? <laughs> right. In a way. Right. <laughs> um, it, it should be entertaining, and I think it, it was. So, yeah. 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 Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, so moving on from that, we're going to begin our discussion of the definition of heavy metal. And this will be a two-part discussion because we really do need to get Jim's opinion, and we do need to get Pete's opinion. And we might even bring it – like I know I've talked with Dion, and Dion actually is a, is a fan of a lot of these bands too, so she might come in at one point and, and, and weigh in. We'll see how she feels about that. But, cool. uh, but, but yeah, so, so, so Pete, why don't you give me your definition of heavy metal? And I guess I can give you mine, and then we could maybe try – and again, I, I want to say this is not an academic definition of the term. This is two metal fans who I think are, you know – a little bit musically equipped like we, we at least have some level of understanding of how music works to discuss it but yeah. uh but we're not we're not offering like a, a an academic definition here we're just trying to define what metal is for the purpose of the podcast sure yeah i've given it a, a little bit of thought it's tough to nail down because there's so many different aspects that you know and like you said different subgenres of metal that are out there so it could mean a lot of different things to different people but I think what it means to me, there's kind of two main ingredients. One is I feel like there has to be sort of this element of darkness, I would mm-hmm. call it. So that would either be, you know, sadness, anger, fear, sort of like the dark side in Star in Star Wars. Like there's some, you know, it's not a happy genre. You're not gonna be partying to what I consider more the metal end of things. It's yeah. uh, it's about that side of life where things aren't so great. I think that's a key ingredient for it. But yeah. I also feel like for it to really work for me, it needs to have something that really demands my attention. So it can't be like background music where it's just um, not – where it's just kind of playing and there's not a lot happening. So I yeah. like um, what are called different dynamics. Like I love songs where there's sort of a buildup or um, some sort of payoff that goes on or something interesting that starts a song or um, you know, there has to be something that gets my attention. It can't just be sort of just a straight – playthrough of something that sounds the same the whole way through for me anyway so i think that lends itself to some sort of complexity which might lead into some other topics but for me the basics would just be it's got to be kind of about some sort of dark topic and dark sounding but it's also got to be in some way something that grabs my attention and holds me yeah i i would so i thought about it too and the first thing that I, I – I basically said the same thing you did for the first one, which is it has to have minor keys or minor chords have to be involved mm-hmm. somehow, um, almost to the detriment of the music at times. Like I feel that in metal, the they, metal songs gravitate so much to the minor key that they will use minor minor chords when they maybe should even be using a major chord just because you want that darkness to, to proliferate through the song. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um, so, so minor chords, minor keys, uh, it's riff based metal is definitely riff based, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think that's the reason why, even though he's really important to the development of heavy metal, most people wouldn't think of Jimi Hendrix as, as a, uh, as a, as a, a metal act. Cause the, you know, he, he's, he's more of a traditional guitarist in the way that he performs. Like he, he'll have riffs, but they won't, they won't be the. They won't be the spine of the song, right? He'll be right. he'll be playing more chord progressions once he gets to the sort of the actual song itself. There might be a riff intro, um, mm-hmm. and so I feel like that sort of like you know that Led Zeppelin style of riff music that you get is sort mm-hmm. of you know important to metal. I think dark themes too, like not just in terms of the music, but in terms of the lyrics. And I feel that metal tends to have extremes of pacing. Um, yeah, you know so. Uh, so like early metal tends to be very slow. You know what I mean? Like Black Sabbath type stuff. And later metal can kind of be all over the map, but it felt like it was an increase in tempo over time for a bit. And then uh, I think in extremes in general, like, you know, so so you have this sort of progression towards really, really fast tempos with like stuff like, you know, like Iron Maiden style stuff. And then mm-hmm. in thrash metal and Slayer, it gets even faster. And mm-hmm. then you have... Um, uh, extremes of of volume, extremes of how heavy it can get. Like with with death metal, it gets this really big, heavy sound that's almost obnoxious, right? And the vocals right. get so extreme that they're just guttural noise at a certain point, right? So yeah, um, yeah. So you know, and then and then, it, but then it's like metal hits that extreme, and then it kind of has to 
wind it back a little bit and find new ways to get extreme. So then, you know, I feel I feel like metal is one of these genres because it moves towards extremes has a tendency to hit these moments of crisis where they now have to discover something new, right? And so right. one of the things I wanted to ask you and Jim, because you and Jim both like progressive metal. And progressive mm-hmm. metal, really, that's an example of an extreme, right? That's an example of taking a concept like music theory, right? Or a concept like pushing the boundaries and just pushing them as far as you can, right? And so, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you hear progressive metal and you're like, oh my God, that's the most extreme implementation of music theory I've heard, right? That That's, you know? Um, yeah. So... So is so I wanted to ask you guys, has there been a crisis or crises in progressive metal because of that? Like you must reach a certain breaking point where it's like, well, how many, you know, how, how far can we push this concept right before it, it just snaps in half? Like, right. what's the, so, you know, have they hit that point yet or or have they just found constant ways to innovate? Yeah, I, th- I think for the bands that do it well, they are finding those ways to in- innovate. And so for me, I think the the third ingredient, if you've got darkness and you've got some sort of complexity to your music or something that gets people's attention, like you said, you're changing rhythms, you're changing the sound, you're changing um, vocals, any anything to grab people's attention, you can be doing all of that. But if I don't feel like you've got if – you, if, you, if the singer especially doesn't sound like they are really – believing what they're singing about mm-hmm. it's it's about attitude in a way if you're not delivering it with that sort of metal attitude whatever is appropriate for that song it it definitely loses it so i think you could be technically proficient you know play all the right notes but if i don't really feel like you are you've lived it or know anybody who's lived what you're singing about i i'm not that into it okay. so i think well, there's got to be that that element of attitude in there too as what i would call it well i wanted to get into this because what about what about like when it's pure fantasy right like like obviously you look at early metallica albums right and they're singing about stuff they've never experienced before but it's very extreme subject matter yeah so yeah how do you feel about it when it's they haven't lived it but maybe there's the attitude behind it still somehow right yeah and i, I think that's how you sell it there is is with that attitude like you know, so take uh, say like a song like "Creeping Death," for example, which is based on you know the the pharaohs and all that kind of stuff, and all this crazy stuff is kind of happening. But the reason that that song is so great is you can be in at a Metallica concert with everybody else, and there's a part in the song where everybody's chanting "Die, die, <laughs> die!" Right? Like that's that is just fun, and it's yeah. it's got attitude, and that's that's a part of it where it's not just fantasy but you can kind of it gets you into that song so it's part of the attitude of, of it being delivered but i i do think that that can be a danger point with some kinds of metal that is a little bit too fantastic that you can't relate to necessarily yeah yeah no i could say i mean it's a pe- i suppose it depends on i mean metal always not always but it often draws on you know fantastic themes so you know uh, I, I don't know at what point it becomes too fantastical for me. Like I've always enjoyed Iron Maiden levels of fantasy. Sometimes yeah. when I, you know, some of the black metal stuff gets a little too out there. Some of the, I forget what they call it, like the symphonic metal stuff gets a little bit too, like there's a lifestyle behind this that I'm maybe not that into type thing. Like, yeah. uh, you know, uh, I, I think I, it's sort of like some of it has like a Ren fair vibe. Do you know what I mean? That gets a little, yeah. little too little too uh, uh like i'm fine with that stuff but i don't want to go home and live you know live out uh the number of the beast album in my living room right right you know what right, I mean? right um and so some of those other some certain bands you kind of get the impression that that this is part of like a religious viewpoint or a cultural viewpoint that's really deeply part of who the you know who they are um, right Right. Yeah. I mean, I think when it comes down to it, I think what for me makes the best metal these days is something that I would actually want to see in concert. I think metal, unlike maybe some other types of music, is something that you really want to be part of a crowd and be part of that energy. So that's where like having that whole attitude and delivery and belief in what they're singing about and playing about really comes across in in the great kinds of music, I think, that that can be done. What do you you think about uh, metal today? Like, where would you say we are in terms of um like if metal is still a living like is it still a functional genre or is it is it a museum piece do you know what i mean is it just an aesthetic that people can sort of imitate now or is it still growing i think i think it is 
seems like it's definitely less popular than it was, you know, say in the 80s, 90s there. Um, but it's there's still definitely a really devoted fan base uh, to metal. Um, and I think, you know, what appeals to me about it is that attitude that a lot of the the bands that I like really just deliver their their message and their thoughts and their music in a really creative way that gets my attention, makes me feel like they they believe in what they're doing, even if it's highly technical, which I also like. Um, it's I think that's that's really key. So the, the fact that there's still bands out there that are not playing the same old stuff that we've heard for 50 years, yeah. uh, kind of a thing keeps my attention there. So I, you know, until people stop playing it, I think it's a living, breathing thing. There's still plenty of metal festivals that are out there. As long as they're going out and doing live concerts and people want to do that, I think it's it's got a it's got a chance. If we're all sitting at home on our computers or phones watching videos, then it's probably less less of a thing. It's, I think it's meant to be experienced as part of a crowd and, uh, you know, pump your fist, bang your head, slam into people, whatever you want to do. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, and I have to admit, I tend to be more into the older bands. Like I tend to go back to the stuff I grew up on or follow the bands that I grew up on to what they're doing now. Occasionally I'll find, like I found the band chemist. I thought, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. It's, uh, I think K H E M M I S. Um, but I thought they were great. They're sort of a newer mm-hmm. doom metal band. But they mm-hmm. were really doing some interesting stuff, and they have these great albums that they're not, you know, they're not like, you know, eight or ten songs long. They're often like five songs, but it's just enough. And they just have this; it's a, a slow sound, but it's very, very uh, melodic. Do you know what I mean? Right. So, uh, and and I like I, I like the 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 overall sound of the distorted guitar that they get. Um, but I often have trouble finding newer bands. Do you know what I mean? I'll, I'll, okay, mm-hmm. I, I will listen to newer bands, but I, but I don't click with them the same way that I click with stuff that I, I tended to grow up on. So, um, right. so I may be not as in tune with what's going on in metal these days as you or Jim may be. Um, but, I, yeah, but I do I, like... I, I, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I was just thinking about how I, I get introduced to new bands these days. It's, it's pretty much going to be through the internet unless I happen to be at a at a festival and seeing things, which is another um, great way to do it. If you, if you can go to a festival and, and in Tennessee, two or three or half a dozen bands, but there's 50 bands there and you've got all day or multiple days there, that's a great way to, to be exposed and, and get the experience. That really teaches you a lot about um, you know what you like and, and who's out there that's still doing a great job. Um, but then the internet's the other thing. So having you know YouTube give you related videos or anything like that or reading comments about what other people might like, that's probably my key way to at least check out something else even if i don't like it at least i can find things pretty easily these days no no that's true and i should say just because we're talking about you know festivals and potentially local bands and stuff like that um the music at the start of the program is by a band called distressor which is a local lynn band and so you know i i heard about them through word of mouth you know what i mean yeah so yeah um you know that 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 uh, but but again I'm, i'm not as plugged in as you know like when i was when i was younger i would i would actively seek out a lot more music you know go to the record store buy the albums all that stuff um there's something more ephemeral about uh, ephemeral about finding it online though do you know what i mean like mm-hmm. i don't know if you have the same experience but i i maybe my brain is just not working the way it used to but when i was a kid and i would go to the store i would get you'd get an album and it would stick in your head do you know what i mean and now right. it's a lot easier for me to find an album and then forget about it an hour later you know yeah so. yeah i told i totally agree i mean um that happens even if i own an album um there's so much music that's out there i'll go back to it and I'll, I'll be like oh i haven't listened to this in, in such a long time and it was amazing and, and it's still amazing so yeah it's just there's more out there but back as a kid with only a couple bucks in my pocket i had to be very picky about which cassettes i was going to buy and yeah. play until they broke kind of thing so well no that was the thing is you so and again, I know this is sort of like the old, maybe the old man part of the discussion, but there was a totally different experience going to the record store and getting an album than going online and surfing through YouTube. There's benefits to both. Like there's definitely a value in finding music online because you can find so many different kinds of bands and you can kind of get down this rabbit hole that you mm-hmm. wouldn't really be able to get, you know, go down. But there was an almost religious aspect to going into the record store when you were a kid. I mean, every record store was different, but I remember a lot of the ones around here were very dark. And you would mm-hmm. go in and it was like going into a cave, right? And you would, yeah. you would, you would find the album and you would emerge with... You know, and, 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 and the album, you would generally go by the cover. Like you would have very little information to go on. You, would, you, would, you, would, uh, you, would t- you might hear from friends like, 
about different bands. Like I heard about Iron Maiden from people that just talked about them in the posters. They they were sort of well advertised. But right. then if you wanted to get more obscure bands, you really had to start taking chances and saying, "Oh, that album cover looks interesting." And you exactly. you honestly never know what you were going to get. I I got some great albums that way, and I got some awful albums that way. <laughs> I, I I was actually the kid that would bring the albums back when I didn't like them. And uh, wow, and, good and, for and, you. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I used to do well at one point they told me to stop because i was doing it so much but uh <laughs> but um but yeah you, you would go by the cover and if but if it was a good album you you would you would play the thing to death do you know what i mean mm. you, you would just yeah you would just play it constantly because you, you 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 and also it wasn't like you, you very rarely would you be able to get the complete catalog of a band right because you you're a kid you don't have all this money to burn you can't just you know amass the whole judas priest collection and the whole iron maiden collection you have to be very selective in what you buy right so exactly that was yeah. another aspect there were often gaps in your knowledge that it's one of the things that i find very interesting when i see younger fans online today they seem to have a more complete sense of the history and knowledge simply because that information is out there whereas right. when we were looking like i would get a band and i would I would listen to the album over and over again, and I would read the sleeve, and I would look at the, the the liner notes where they talk about the bands that they're thanking and stuff, and then you'd mm -hmm. find bands through those liner notes to go listen. Sure, yeah, so, exactly. But uh, but yeah, so I don't know. But I guess you know on the topic of of whether metal is still viable, I, I feel like it doesn't feel like it's as an active or as maybe not active is not the wrong word, right word. It doesn't feel like it's as significant a genre as it used to be uh, right but maybe i'm missing something maybe i'm not plugged in and and uh and, and i also feel like it's a genre that a lot of people will just sort of identify the aesthetics of and dip into but won't necessarily uh be as deeply invested as the pioneers of the music were if that makes mm -hmm. sense do you know what i mean it's sort of like um you know there's 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 a there's a much much more widespread knowledge of music theory now than when we were kids i think you know like you oh, can yeah. go online you can learn about it and i think that ability to sort of just identify the aesthetics of a genre is much easier for people for musicians to to sort of wrap their head around and mm -hmm. i feel like that's happened with metal as well like you have a lot of channels where the concept of the channel is i'm going to metal you know metalize this song do you know what i mean and I'll, mm -hmm. I'll, i like channels like that sometimes but sometimes mm -hmm. i'll listen to them like you know like this is really chintzy you know what i mean like this is yeah this is uh this is something about this is very not metal at all in fact <laughs> um so so yeah i don't know i don't know but um but yeah so so i guess what's so so you would but you would come down on the side of metal is alive i would take it yes i, I think so i mean um you know, I think there's a lot of bands that have been around for many years and even some new ones. So the fact that, you know, you could go see an old favorite from 20 years ago or more and they're still touring is great. Um, but there's plenty of new acts that are that are out that um, I'm pretty excited about, too. So I, I think it's that's pretty viable. Okay. But I think it's also something that you kind of have to seek out. Like it, and maybe it's just like you said, as as we get older, um, it's not in, in our face as much. But when when I was a kid, like everybody had their concert T-shirts and you saw them everywhere that you looked. Maybe it's just because you're at the same age as everybody else and that's yeah. what everybody was doing. But, um, you know, I, I would say if I went to the mall or went to a, a sports game or, or downtown somewhere, the chances of seeing, you know, really any concert T-shirt is is rare, I think. Yeah. Not just for metal, but for anything, really. So um, maybe it's just fashion is changing too. Yeah, I, I mean it could be. I don't know. I, uh, I mean I, I, I feel like rock in general feels like it's on its way out. Do you know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. uh, I mean, like like you said, there are still these bands out there. You can find them on the internet. But if you listen to the radio, you won't hear any of this stuff. Um, right. Unless, unless you're listening to certain stations. Do you know what I mean? But like like right. all of the rock stations in Boston are pretty much gone. Mm -hmm. um, we we still get a couple, I think one from New Hampshire and stuff like that. But like the, the big rock stations that used to be here aren't, aren't around. And I, I, it doesn't feel like I ever hear new bands on the radio. If I, if right. I, if I listen to the radio, I'm more likely to hear like a classic rock station that's playing, you know, older music, which would include music that I would have thought of as new a few years ago, but is, right. uh, you know, is now not new. Um, yeah. so, so I don't know. I feel, I feel like rock is kind of like, I feel like rock is pretty much dead at this point. 
at least yeah. in terms of the culture. And I think you would have to include heavy metal in that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, yeah. So, so yeah, I don't know. Which, and it, but it's weird because it's not like it's not like it's gone. It's like like you said, there's still these active bands. You can still find it. There's it's still out there. It's just not it's just not being consumed on a mass scale. I guess. Right. Uh, right. Uh, but it is a global phenomenon. Like you do have, you know, a lot of people throughout the world that listen to metal. So maybe that's sort of the thing that saves it. Is that right? Uh, yeah, and I, th- I think for me uh, personally, that's kind of what I'm looking for. Like I want to be able to go to a concert and have it have a pumped up crowd, you know, there to have a good time. And as long as that's still happening, I, I think that's all good. So do you go to concerts regularly, or are you? Um, we try to. I mean, I would say probably. Um, Maybe three times, three four times a year we might go, but sometimes we mix lot. that in. That's a lot for people our age. That's a lot. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, you know, sometimes we might mix that in instead of seeing a rock um, or metal concert, we'll go and see a comedian. But um, yeah, we try to get out every now and then. It's good okay. to be see some live entertainment I, of some kind. I keep meaning to go. King Diamond came by a few years ago. I was like, oh, I'm going to go see King Diamond. Didn't happen. Iron Maiden yeah. came by. I really regret not seeing Iron Maiden when they came by, but I. I, I'm very lazy when it comes to going out to shows. Um, <laughs> yeah. And also, I'd have to talk my wife into it and all this. So, um, yeah. you know, uh, I, 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 I'm happy to, to sit through two or three hours of Iron Maiden. My wife doesn't even like to sit through Iron Maiden on the car ride home. So I think, <laughs> right. uh, I think it would be a tough, a tough uh, thing to convince her to do. Yeah. Um, but well, maybe but, if you maybe if you and I could find the right concert, you and I could go together. That, and would, then, uh, that would be ideal. Um, that works. You know, but, uh, you know, like I said, you know, I was, I, I was, I was really excited when I heard Iron Maiden was coming and I was, I was all equally excited by King Diamond. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the, I think the last concert I went to was a Metallica. No, I went to Lollapalooza. I went to one of the Lollapaloozas. Nice. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and I'll, t- I'll, maybe I'll talk about that next episode. It was, it was you know, I don't, I don't know. It, it was like the late nineties. Um, so it's been a long time, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. Is there anything else you wanted to add about the definition of metal or the state of metal? Yeah, no. I mean, I, I think there. The good news about it is that it's still out there, and there are all those different subgenres that are out there. And I like to dabble with different things. And you know, I might listen to you know symphonic metal or power metal for a little while, but I kind of tend to come back to sort of the more aggressive types of sounds as is what seems to suit me best but not just straight ahead speed or you know shouting or screaming kind of stuff either you know what my issue with power metal is i don't think it's metal i feel like and and i I hope i'm not insulting you when i say this no but i and i'll tell you why it's got way too many major keys it's just a little bit too happy Yeah, yeah yeah it's got way too many major keys and to me that just that it's 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 german folk music it's not it's not really metal do you know what i mean yeah um So, I mean, it's got all the trappings of metal. It's got the guitar. It's got the, you know, the drums. It's got the, the high-pitched vocals. And it's got the distortion and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's, it, it's like you just took, you just took uh, folk music and, and transferred it over to, right. to, to those trappings. So, right. Um, no, I, I tend to agree. I mean, once in a while, I like to listen to it if I want to. Just my wife and I call them "Yo Ho Ho" songs. Like you're just there, like "Yo Ho Ho," yeah. you know. And that's what the song is. It's that, that can be great if you want to have that experience. But you know, it's just a little bit too happy of a uh, of a genre for me to really listen to for too long. Yeah, yeah, I I, I do have some trouble getting. It. I mean, I, I there have been power metal bands that I've listened to and I've liked, but I, I feel a little conflicted about the genre in general. Um, yeah. And and again, I, I do think the minor thing is, and just so people know, I know we keep mentioning minor keys. This is the most unmetal thing in the world, but I have a ukulele in my lap, and so I just wanted to demonstrate for people that you know that I don't know if you can hear it. That is an A minor chord, and that is a C major chord. So that is the you can hear how sad the A minor is compared to the the the, the happy C chord, and. Uh, and and I should just say for the record, I can't stand the ukulele. I think it's an abominable <laughs> instrument. Um, but uh, but 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 it, it's easy to hold in front of the computer. Um, yeah. So so I I think I think we covered everything. I I, w- I, I I'm very interested to hear Jim's thoughts because I really Jim had mentioned when he was talking about his definition of metal that it that it included math, and I've been intrigued by this idea from the very beginning of when he first mentioned it. 
mm-hmm. I don't think I quite understand exactly what he means. So I want to I want to explore that. You you opened up some possibilities in your explanation, um, and so uh, so yeah. So I don't know, but but again, you guys both come from more of a progressive metal uh, wing of the of the genre. So, mm-hmm. um, and I'm I'm definitely not as it's not as uh familiar with that with that that aspect of metal um so yeah so we'll be back on um we have a uh 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 episode one up with uh me and jim just kind of talking in general and what we'll probably do is we'll have a third episode where jim comes on and talks about the definition and just as as things go we'll probably start focusing more on specific things in in these programs and maybe focusing on subgenres and stuff like that uh we didn't even get into the history of of metal which would maybe be worth delving into um uh so yeah so uh i guess we'll uh, we'll let you go and until then we'll talk to you later Yeah!